<laughs> Welcome back to touring the AFC South. Of course, we're in the month of April, but we're still talking about Women's History Month in the month of April because you can talk about women's history in any month of the year. And my next guest, she is a former Olympian. She is a broadcast veteran, Miss Lexi Leslie Maxi. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you doing, Mike? I am doing great. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. We're going to get into your career, but up first, like I did with every Women's History Month show, I have a Women's History Month fact. And of course, this episode, we're going to go with Alice Coachman. Now, uh, Alice was born November 9, 1923 in Albany, Georgia. Uh, she was denied access to athletic training and organized sports because of the color of her skin. Of course, 1923, Albany, Georgia, need not say anymore. But she, of course, improvised running barefoot along the dirt roads near her home and using homemade equipment to practice her jumping. Um, finally, in 1938, kind of, she joined the track team in Madison High School, or Madison High School to develop her skills as an athlete. Uh, she would eventually draw the attention of Tuskegee Institute of Alabama, eventually joined the Tuskegee Prep School at 16 after being offered a scholarship. Uh, she would graduate for, uh, with a degree in dressmaking in 1946, then went on to Albany State for a BS in home economics in 1949. Uh, from there, of course, she would become a teacher and a track and field coach. She did not get to compete in the 1940 and 1946 Olympics, 40, 40, well, the two consecutive Olympics, basically because of World War II. Uh, 1948, though, she finally got uh, to compete. She would uh, compete in the high jump and uh, get to, and win a gold medal, actually. And in 1948, she became the first black woman to win a gold medal in the Olympics. So... That's my uh, Women's History Month fact for, uh, I guess, this episode. Uh, did you know that one? I did. I did. Okay. Did you know I used to be a high jumper? I, I was uh, aware. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that I tore my patella tendon high jumping? You Ooh. didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't so know it either until I retired and then I ruptured it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes, yikes, yikes. I'm just yikes. I'm reaching at my knee right now. You can't see it, but I'm reaching at my knee. Like, yow, that hurts. That hurts. Half that your hurts. audience is reaching at their knees because they know the pain of knees. There's just nothing <laughs> can that can describe it, but when you felt it, you never forget it. Right. Well, I didn't necessarily <laughs> I, I was blessed to not, you know, seriously, seriously injure a knee, but I did hyperextend one when I was uh, a kid. But you know, nah, that was that. That hyperextended it, please. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I was like, uh, you know, kind of a soft thing compared to you know Terrence. But I know, I know. But you know, we want to get into um, your history, your life. You grew up in the Bay Area, correct? I did. Born in San. Now, how was it? How was it growing up out in the Bay Area? Because, you know, I got I got family, I got cousins that live out in the Bay Area. So mm -hmm. I, I want to know, how was it like, how was it growing up out there? Well, you know what? Where do your cousins live? They live in, uh, live in Oakland. Oh, okay. <laughs> e mm -hmm. 
Yeah. They wrote down. Okay, so theirs was a little bit different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in San Francisco, um, lived in Daly City for the first maybe 14 years of my life, and then moved to San Mateo, but I went to Mills High School. And so when you land at SFO, you're actually not landing in San Francisco, obviously. You're landing in San Bruno, Millbrae. And when you look up at those hills, that's where I went to high school. Um, it was it was wonderful. I mean, I say that I was as good as I was, as young as I was, because the the hill that I walked home from in Daly City, from elementary school to uh, my house, was like this. Okay. Now, anybody that's ever run knows that if you want to make progress, you have to do hill charges. And so I essentially did that hill about a half mile every single day, sometimes twice a day. And that was the secret to my early success, for sure, for sure. Okay. So how did you kind of get introduced to track? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I, I started running at six years old. My, um, I have older cousins. My brothers are older than me and my immediate family, um, the baby. And <laughs> I couldn't stay home alone, obviously. My brothers are four and three years older than me. And, uh, and we all, so I have 21 first cousins that live in the Bay Area. My mom, my Aunt May, my Aunt Pauline, and my Aunt Peggy. And we would travel like packs. And so when one did one thing, we all did it. And my cousin, Brooke Gaston, was one of the first Title IX athletes at Cal Berkeley. And my cousin, Marion Franklin, about now, um, was she was an alternate on the 1980 Olympic team and uh, had her first junior team experience touring all over Europe when I was about 10 years old. And that was a seminal moment in my life because her in that uniform, was how I decided I was going to go to the Olympics. Okay. All right. So I know as kids, uh, people will say they want to be this, that, and the other, but what did you really want to be at first growing up uh, in, in, in the Bay Area? You know what, Mike? Pretty close to, to who I am and what I am right now. Um, you know, I started running, like I said, when I was six. I started in television when I was nine about the same time I started running, I started modeling. And when I was nine years old, I saw a show called Kids Watch. And I was like, kid, reporters? You never tell me twice. <laughs> My mother never called me nosy. She called me newsy because I was <laughs> always in the tea. So <laughs> I started that show and, and actually did the last interview with Jesse Owens before he passed away when I was like 13 or 14 years old. Um, I, I won the Jesse Owens uh, track and field championships that was sponsored by ARCO at the time. And, uh, and I was high jumping. <laughs> so I love that you talked about Madam Coachman because she, she's one of my idols. Um, but yeah, so I, I was high jumping at the time and um, I talked the show into sending a crew out, dispatching a crew from the NBC affiliate in um, Los Angeles. And they said, well, you know, have you scheduled an interview with Mr. Um, with Mr. Owens? And I said, I said, no, I said, but I'm gonna win the high jump. And when I win, you get to go to dinner with 
Jesse Owens, everybody that one got to sit at his table. I said, so when he's giving me my medal, I'm going to ask him if he'll uh, let me interview him. And they were like, I don't know why they believed a kid, <laughs> but they believed me. They sent a crew and he put the medal around my neck and shook my hand and I held his hand. And I said, Mr. Owens, may I interview you for my television show? And he was like, uh, well, I mean, there's a PR woman here and you can talk to her about setting something up. And I was like, no, I have a crew here right now. He said, you have a crew here at the track meet? I said, yep. I pointed over my shoulder and <laughs> the crew got away. And he said, kid, that takes Moxie. <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> my name is Maxie. <laughs> and we go. sat on the high jump pits and did the interview right there. Wow, you called your shot and you made it happen. Wow. <laughs> called that shot. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, um, <clears throat> you would take a trek on to USC. So going from the Bay Area to Southern California. Nice little interesting move there. You know, I have I have seen USC, by the way. I, I went to Los Angeles uh, a couple years ago. Now that was fun. I was like, I didn't know the location know specifically <laughs> of USC, but I, I saw it. I was like, oh, okay. I see why they got all this and this and this and this. Makes sense. It wasn't always like that, Mike. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't always like that. When I went to USC, was in the Times. Do you watch that show, um, Snowfall? I, I watch it. I watched a little bit of it. I haven't watched okay. all of it. That was USC in the 80s. <laughs> we were very, very close to the Bloods and the Crips. And it was um, never dull. <laughs> never dull. But, you know, I, I went to USC. Um, Fred coached LaPlante. Uh, Fred LaPlante was my coach. And he was uh, my coach for the first two years. When I took the year off to train for the Olympics um, at home with my coach Parker, he uh, ended up going home to Eastern Michigan. His parents were older and really needed some full-time care and he was an only child. So he went to take care of them. So um, he was my coach for the first couple of years. And then there was another man that was my coach when I came back, but Fred LaPlante was the one who recruited me and he was very, very good to me. Really good, good person and a great coach. Or actually, how can, great person, good coach. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Now, how can you say your USC days kind of prepared you for the Olympics and then coming back from the Olympics? How was that? How did those kind of you know, situations or kind of things kind of compare to each other? Yeah. Well, you know, I I missed making the Olympic team in 84, Mike, by two one hundredths of a second. I was a junior in high school. And the 84 games was the first time that women would get to contest the 400 meter hurdles at the Olympic Games. I was a, I was a national caliber 100 hurdle and 400 runner, but my legs were too long for me to be really, really great at the 100 hurdles. I was fast, but not quick. And, um, and in the 400 meters, I, like I said, fast and not quick. And, and the difference is when you're fast, you can get up to top speed, but it takes a little longer than 100 yards. Um, when you're quick, you can like off of a dime, like that Michael J Johnson kind of quickness. And that wasn't me. And so, you know, my Parker, my, my Parker, Mr. Parker, my coach, uh, came to us in 84 and about 
maybe February or so. And he was like, look, this is the first time that the four degree hurdles are going to be contested for women. Leslie is a good 100 meter hurdler and a good 400 meter runner, but she'll never be great in either one of those events. And I was like, <laughs> but he said, wow. but <laughs> I think if we combine the events, there's a really good chance that we could have lightning in a bottle. And so from February to June and July, I went from an unranked, unknown, snot-nosed junior in high school to second in the world and a world record that would stand for 32 years. Um, and I, like I said, I missed making the Olympic team by two and nine a second, but it was mostly because of lack of experience towards the end of the race. I didn't know how to alternate. So when you see Sydney McLaughlin doing a 100 hurdle race on her opposite lead leg or a 60 hurdle race on her opposite lead leg, it's so she can become proficient, so she can be just as good on the leg that she leans towards naturally as she is on the other one. And, and there just wasn't enough time to teach me that in that short period of time. So in 88, when I had the opportunity to make another run for it, it only made sense that I would come home to Mr. Parker, the one who knew me best. Mr. Parker had been coaching me since I was six years old. And, you know, frankly, he got as close to the Olympic Games with me. And I really wanted to be able to complete that experience under his tutelage. Mr. Parker had at least one athlete on every Olympic team from 1956 all the way to 1988. And I was his last Olympian. So I, I really wanted that honor. Wow. Wow. So can you just explain the Olympics and the feeling of the Olympics just to someone that has never either even been or participated in it? Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I get asked that question a lot. And what I basically say is it is anything that you can imagine times 100 times 100 times 100. It, it's an incredible feeling because you have this, this one moment in time when everyone around the world and their eyes are all pointed to, towards wherever the Olympic Games are being held that year. And, you know, their eyes are pointed there and most of us, are, our breath is held for that person that we're rooting for. You know, we can know them or not know them. And I don't care if you consider yourself patriotic or not. When you put on the red, white, and blue, something happens. Something happens. There is not a team that's harder to make than the U.S. track and field team. You don't get grandfathered in. You can't have a great reputation and get your, your slot on the team. You can't be somebody that everybody loves and get your slot on the team. You have to earn your way on. Now, when it comes to relays, that can get a little political. But actually getting your spot, it is mano y mano. <laughs> you and the lane. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I definitely enjoyed hearing of your track and, you know, your growing up. But, of course, you began to make a transition. We're going to talk about that transition after we take a transition to a commercial break. We'll be right back on Tour in the AFC South with your host, Mike Patton. Whether it's local or long distance, Milligan Logistics has you covered. Milligan Logistics was established in 2020 with over a combined 15 years of experience in trucking, 
hauling and logistics, along with over 50 years collectively of project management experience. Again, whether it's near or far, Milligan Logistics has you covered with quality service, efficiency while taking pleasure in exceeding clients' expectations. Need goods moved short or long distance? Milligan Logistics has you covered. Just reach out to them at 615-354-2618. That's 615-354-2618. Or you can send them an email at milliganlogistics at gmail.com. Again, that's milliganlogistics at gmail.com. Right, and we're back. Of course, uh, the transition from track to doing more kind of broadcasting and, and doing more of those things in front of the camera, actually speaking to the camera, that started early, as you mentioned. But when did that transition start, you know, from the track to, you know, holding the mic in front of the camera? Well, it didn't start immediately. When I retired from track and field, I went to work for uh, Maryland Special Olympics. I ran the western portion of the state. And, uh, and I went from there to, I was recruited into the Baltimore Orioles and through the marketing department by Calvin Hill, uh, the Browns and Cowboys um, Hall of Fame running back. Grant Hill's father <laughs> um, recruited me into the Orioles. I had gone to the Orioles to um, recruit some players for a function I was going to have at the um, at Special Olympics. And he was like, well, you know, we have our our, our charities already defined, but do you want a job? I was like, uh, sure. <laughs> so <laughs> I worked there uh, in marketing and PR and then came back to California, worked at a um, boutique marketing firm here got married, had my babies, and um, and my ex-husband was a baseball player. And so we went to Huntsville, Alabama, because he was um, he got a post as the A's AA manager. And um, I couldn't work at the same boutique firm. They didn't you know, have affiliates. So I, I said, I wonder if I could do an internship and if I would love it as much as I did when I was a kid. I was 31. My kids were two and four years old. Pam Oliver had just started for Fox sideline reporting. And to see her doing what, you know, I had always envisioned myself doing, representation matters, Mike. It really, really matters. And so I arranged an internship and, um, you know, didn't get paid for it, but you had to shoot, write, edit, report. And that's what I did for the six months that we were there. I came back to uh, California and actually went back to the station that I had worked at when I was a kid, the NBC affiliate KRON, and they had a high school show. And I, you know, went and met with the producer, and he was like, "Well, I wish I had met with you a month sooner. I, I don't have a budget." I said, "I didn't ask you to pay me." <laughs> it was a, you know, at a time, hey, my husband was working. I didn't necessarily need to, but what I needed was reps. So. They hired me and I, you know, worked on that show for a season and got picked up by the, um, the largest high school show in America <laughs> and um, was there for about a year. And then I got picked up by Fox Sports region in San Francisco and got the uh, the eye of uh, Fox Sports in L.A. 
I landed an interview with Alex Rodriguez right before he um, signed the biggest contract in uh, Major League Baseball history at that time and uh, was able to kind of make my way from there and came out to left California coming to the East Coast in 2003 to work for ESPN's Cold Pizza. Oh, yes. Cold Pizza. <laughs> oh, I remember that show. I was actually a, uh, let's see, 2003. I was a junior in college in 2003. Oh. So, so you really were eating cold pizza. <laughs> yes, definitely. So I just remember that show. You had Woody Page on one side. You had Skip Bayless on another. And I mean, you had uh, what Jay Crawford was one of the hosts. I definitely remember that show. Um, I've got to ask, um, with that show, I know there was always, you know, the interesting dynamic. You have Woody, and they're always going at each other. You know, what was it like just witnessing some of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they call it a soap opera for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, cold pizza, just like really any television show, you you have the dynamics on the screen, but behind the show, it's like everybody's cool. Everybody's cool. So it was really fun. It was very exciting. There was always activity. You know, I, I had the opportunity to sit down in interviews with Denzel Washington and Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Venus and Serena. So pretty exciting stuff. And at the end of the day, they're just people. They put their pants on one leg at a time. And, you know, just having the opportunity to talk with them, especially when you're talking to Hollywood stars about something other than what they're doing on screen. So, you know, I talked to Russell Crowe, but I got a chance to really uh, preview Cinderella Man. So he had done this one gladiator movie but Cinderella Man was coming out and he was like, oh, my God, I get to talk about this. You know, and he was like, I would talk about this all day long. And he's somebody that's known to really shun the press. But, you know, great interviews because you have the opportunity to to really talk about the thing that that the person wants to talk about. And everybody loves sports. Everybody loves sports. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Now, I have to ask. What was one of your more memorable interviews you did, or more people you more memorable people you talked to on air? Yeah, wow, you know, that's a that's a tough question. Only in that the the obvious answer would be, you know, I'm I'm sitting in in the room getting ready for this interview with Denzel, and he walks in and puts his hands on my shoulder, and I'm like, oh, it's Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he couldn't have been more nice or more lovely. But I, I think the interviews that I did with people who were really facing insurmountable odds and, and figured out a way to make their dreams come true, those are the interviews that, that stuck with me. They really did. Okay. All right. So, you know, you did, you know, some work with, uh, of course, NASCAR and a few other different places as well. I read that you you didn't really want to do track and field stuff, but you did like other stuff to kind of show what all you could do. And that you did it kind of purposely. What, what was the goal in kind of doing all that? Absolutely. Well, 
the goal for me, I, I, I found that when I saw an athlete and they transitioned to broadcast, it was usually in their own sport and usually in an analyst position. So you're, you're sitting there and, you know, you, you have the person who's calling the play and then you're giving the color. So that's the color analyst. And I said, look, I came from television since I was, I said, so I wanted to be able to really do all that I was capable of doing. And not to say that, you know, Grant Hill can't cover something other than the final four, you know, he certainly can. But for me, it was really important that I, I take that, that bet that I bet on myself. And so for the first few years, I just said, look, it, unless it is an abject emergency, I don't want to cover track and field. I want to be the person who conquered other areas of sport before I made my way back. Because if I was able to do that, then when I got to track, I could host or I could be your color analyst. So it gave me some choices. And I always knew that I wanted to really spread my wings outside of uh, sports broadcasting and do some other things. You know, I have a pretty robust background in entertainment. So to be able to, to build platforms that were consistent with the things that I was passionate about, that means so much to me. You know, I think about the movement that I started when I turned 50 for women over 50 called Not Your Mama's 50. Not better, not worse, just different. You know, we're the first generation of women who have had access to everything. We got a female vice president. We almost had a female president. <laughs> we had an all-female flyover crew for the Super Bowl. We had women go into space, all-female crew. So anything that we've thought of, we've been able to do. And when I conceptualized it originally, I knew that I also wanted it to be a conversation vehicle so we could talk to some of these women and find out how they got to that thing because it's never a straight line. And it's the zigzag that really makes a conversation interesting. And so, you know, making the decision not to cover track first really was in support of the future I knew that I could accomplish. Well, basically, you said all that to say that you were a boss, basically. But, you know, speaking of being a boss, you, you definitely started uh, kind of your own media as well. And, you know, they know kind of you did. Okay. You started your own media and basically, you know, talking about elevating uh, you know, speaking skills and things like that of people as well. Um, was that kind of a, an idea that you already had from the beginning or it kind of, you know, your, I guess, media company kind of expanding into each and every avenue to kind of, you know, capture on every single thing it could? Yeah. Well, the name of the company is Maxi Media Group, and the tagline is your media needs under one umbrella. I realized that I you, you mentioned NASCAR. Well, in NASCAR, I did media training and um, marketing communications. With Formula One, I launched both of Red Bull's Formula One teams in Europe. I worked for the Orioles in marketing and PR, and I worked for Special Olympics, it all comes home, <laughs> in event management. And so being able to have that level of information and experience allows me to go through the ideation stage, 
when I'm working with a client. And then once everything's in place, I can bring in a team to execute on my behalf. And so that's a lot of what we do on, on the media side. As it pertains to media training and broadcast training, what I realized was when I was reporting, I would sit down with an athlete or whomever I was speaking with and kind of engage them in conversation, especially if I wasn't familiar with their work, to know, do they know how to answer a question for a package? Do they know how to answer a question if it's a two-shot live interview? All of these things are important. And in that little bit of conversation, I would get to understand kind of where their experience level was. And then I would coach them to what they needed to do. So if somebody wasn't familiar with how a package is put together, I'd say, look, when we are talking, I want you to answer the question in a complete sentence, because when we cut the package, my question isn't going to be there, only your answer. Now, I'll introduce the piece and I may do a stand up, but this is about you. So we want you to answer in a complete sentence so that we're really focusing on you, your message and what's important to you. So that little bit of coaching would help someone to be able to put their best foot forward. And when I was working at Cold Pizza, I had a, a gentleman who will remain nameless, <laughs> but he was a Super Bowl champion. And he asked me, he said, look, I want to do what you're doing. He said, but I can't go to you know a number 50 market and get my reps in. I'm a Super Bowl champion. I have to enter the space as a Super Bowl champion. How did you learn? And I said, well, I've been doing this since I was nine. I said, but what I can do is I can look at the different things that I do and kind of put an operational uh, lens on it to say, what are the elements and how can I teach that to you? And so I, I did, I took a step back. I said, okay, I sideline report. I work as a host. I work as a color analyst. I, I teleprompter read when I'm anchoring all of these different things, you know, there's a lot of different components that you're dealing with. And I, I basically put a curriculum point for point for point. And then we did role playing. I gave him homework assignments. He worked on it. We came back. We went through it. It was a long process. But that man is working in a number one market today. And he has been since a week after we worked together. Wow. That's when I knew wow. I had something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds like it. I mean, I'm, I, I need to be taking notes and probably giving you a call. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, definitely. Uh, it's very amazing. It's very uh, great to hear your story. Great to hear, you know, of course, from track to now broadcasting and being a boss in the broadcasting uh, lane as well. You know, we can't call you just a broadcast veteran. We got to call you a boss in the, in the, in the broadcasting lane. But you know what, though, Mike, here's the thing. It's like when I retired from track, I took a step back and I said, what thing do I have that I can take forward to my life, not knowing exactly what it was going to be, but that would serve me with all the work that I've done in track and field? Because if everything that I did all those years is about 10 hurdles and 400 meters, then it was an epic fail. What I could take with me was excellence. Excellence is not an accident. It's not going to fall out of the sky and hit you in the head. Now, it's not perfectionism. Perfectionism is a trap. But excellence is a very good or outstanding outcome. Everybody's had that. Everybody's had that. And, and that's the message that I more most like to share 
is so that people understand I'm really no different than you. I may be a little bit taller. My legs may be a little bit longer, <laughs> but I'm no different because all of us have had a very good or outstanding outcome in our lives. The question is, how do we apply ourselves in such a way that we can replicate it over and over and over again throughout our lives? That's wow. what yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's what I speak about around the world. <laughs> yeah. You, you you sound like you, you just gave a speech to uh, have somebody run out the tunnel and they fired up. <laughs> but uh, let's see. But I do have uh, one other question for you. Sure. Um, you know, in, in Women's History Month, this is what I was asking pretty much every guest is uh, what advice would you have for any like young journalist or broadcast, uh, you know, person? Uh, you know, especially a black journalist or a black broadcast person or a black woman uh, that's trying to get in this field and trying to uh, make their mark, what advice would you have for them? Yeah, I think it would be, it would dovetail off of the, the excellence advice. You have the ability to fulfill your dreams. You really, really do. The question is, are you willing to put in the work? Diligent work, not necessarily hard work. The two are different. Diligent work is what I advocate. Are you willing to put in the work? Are you willing to be the person who can not only do the job, but they can stand you while you do the job? Okay. It doesn't matter how much of a genius you are. It doesn't matter how skilled you are. If people can't stand to be in your presence in order to get the work done, you will get that job one time one time. Be excellent, be affable, be prepared. If you can be those three things and then understanding that it's okay to fail. It is okay to fail. Failure is a bigger part as being an Olympian as anything else. Because trust me, that two one hundredths of a second taught me a whole bunch in 1984. And I used it in 88. All right. Those four things can take you wherever you see yourself being. Oh, amen. Amen. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> and the church said, amen. <laughs> yes. And the doors of the church are open. We're passing the collection plate. Okay. Um, but... <laughs> All right. But uh, of course, we have reached the end of the show. Of course, it's not the show is not over. We do have a game. I have five questions for you. I've got two answers for you, and you got to make one choice. Are you okay. ready? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna go on track. Jackie Joyner, Kersey, or Gail Davis? Ooh. <laughs> oh man. Okay. <laughs> I already beat Gail, so Jackie. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. All right. Oh. Okay. <laughs> now I've got to go with uh, two competitors uh, in a different arena. Skip or Stephen A. Which one you say like the most? Stephen A. Ah, okay. Got him in my phone. <laughs> okay. All right. Now I've got to ask. Of course, uh, you did. Uh, you lived, grew up in the Bay Area. You went to college in L.A. So the Bay Area or Southern California, which one oh, do you enjoy more? You know what? You can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> San Francisco.
Francisco, baby. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. Now, which one do you enjoy more, speaking or coaching? Ooh. I'd say speaking because you can coach while you speak, too. Ah, okay. All right. Now, I'm going to ask about uh, some sports that you uh, covered or I believe. Yeah, some sports that you covered. Uh, boxing or tennis? Which one do oh. you like covering more? Boxing. Ah. <laughs> did you envision? Did you envision? Mike Tyson. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. All right. I was going to say, did you envision like uh, some Apollo Creed and Rocky Balboa type stuff when you when you first went into boxing? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, if you would hang around, uh, of course, after the show, I got a few things to go over with you. But um, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, if you can... Miss Leslie Maxie, can you please tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find whatever you're working on, uh, where they can go get some coaching? Just let <laughs> everyone know where they can find you. Absolutely. So you can come to Maxie Media Group, M-A-X-I-E, mediagroup.com. All of our information's there. You can find me on social, Leslie Maxie or Not Your Mama's 50. And um, I love to connect with, you know, the people in uh, – social media. It's just, it's so much fun. We didn't get to do that when I was young. So yeah, I really answer messages for real, for real. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, you heard it here first, folks. All right. Uh, I just want to uh, thank everyone again for tuning in. You've been listening and watching Touring the AFC South. Of course, you can find Touring the AFC South on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. Let's see. Am I running out of places? No, I'm not. But um, of course, you can find it on YouTube as well. Um, of course, you can find me on social media at MikePatton82. That's M-I-K-E-P-A-T-O-N-82 on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. You can find me on there at T-H-A, which is the, not the, underscore general underscore MP. Thank you all again for tuning in to Touring the AFC South. I'm your host, Mike Patton. We're out. <laughs>